You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with you. Out at the end of 2022, Michael Stanley's latest novel is A Deadly Covenant and follows Detective Kubu to Shikawe, Botswana, on a case investigating a mass grave of First Nations Africans hoed up amidst preparations for a new waterline through the Kalahari Desert. We're thrilled to be joined by Michael Sears and Stanley Trollop, the minds behind this sweltering mystery. Michael Stanley, welcome to Death of the Reader. It's wonderful to have you both. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks, great to be here. So we're eight books into Detective Kubu's novels, and you've brought us back to his rookie days whilst he's still courting his later wife, Joy. Did it feel like Kubu was getting too competent later down the timeline? Why did you need to dial him back a bit? Well, it's it's a, there are a number of reasons for, for that. Um, one was that in our first book, A Carry and Death, Kubu wasn't actually designed to be the protagonist of the series. He just... Um, there, there was a murder, uh, a body was discovered in the desert, and that is a whole story in its own in its own right. But uh, a, a body is discovered, an ecologist discovered it, and we've both been professors in previous lives. So, you know, they say, write what you know. So we were writing about a professor, and we thought the professor was going to be the protagonist. But if a murder occurs, you've got to have a policeman. So Kubu just uh, walked out of the criminal investigation department in Khabarone, climbed into his Land Rover with some drinks and some food and some cassette tapes to sing along to, and he headed off into the desert. And by the time he got to the body, he'd basically taken over the whole story. So that was all fine and good, and uh, he was the key detective in the Botswana CID, and 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 so he was for for six six novels in the series. But there wasn't really any backstory to him, in a sense. There was a bit about his family and his his school days and so on. But there was nothing about how he became a detective, how he became the star detective, how he developed in the CID. So we felt that was a bit of a, a gap. And we wanted to we wanted to fill that gap, so we we wrote uh, a couple of prequels to try and to try and do that. And uh, a Deadly Covenant is the second of those prequels. So you didn't really have these uh, this this story in mind when you originally originally wrote the character. This is something you're kind of coming up with as you're putting together these books. A lot of this is is new to you as well, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, in in the in the writing business, as I'm sure you know, there are two broad categories of writers. There are the people who plot. Uh, Jeffrey Deaver, for example, is a prime example. Uh, he spends two or three months creating an outline, which is probably fifty percent of the length of the final book, and then he sort of fleshes it out. And then there are people more like us who are typically called pantsers, people who write by the seat of their pants. And and we've always felt it's a, a little unfair for the readers to read and read and read through a book, wondering who the final uh, villain is going to be. And and we do much the same. We We often don't know who the bad person is going to be until near the end. And that's also true of Kubu. Um, we didn't know who he was going to be. And as Michael said, he wasn't even going to be our main character. So we developed him as we went along and uh, didn't know much about his backstory, hence the prequels. Well, Flex and I, were a working duo much like yourselves. And though, of course, we agree on everything down to the detail uh, that the other person says without question. 
not everyone is blessed with this uh, synchronicity. Um, how do the two of you, especially being pantsers and kind of riding the wave as you go along the writing process, how do you deal with creative disagreements and, and maintain the illusion of the hive mind known as Michael Stanley? We, we do try and get together physically in the sense of being in the same location at the same time because Stan spends time in the US and in Europe and in Cape Town in South Africa. And I live in, in Neisner in South Africa. And right now I'm in Brisbane. So uh, we do we do deal with each other at, at, at arm's length, shall we say. And so sometimes when we have creative disagreements, the fact that the arm's length is a, for a very long arm is, is, is quite useful. But we start off by getting together and we try and we try and sort of structure some ideas, structure some characters, toss around um, different concepts, and do some do some mind maps, and just generally uh, brainstorm and try and find out what the book's really about and uh, how's it how's it going to develop in in general terms. So before the the pencing starts, that's how we sort of get past the. The, the big creative disagreements, like what the book is actually about. The smaller disagreements come in the, in the writing process. And it's um, one of the amazing things that I've learned over the, the course of 10 or 11 books that we've, that, uh, how many is it? Nine we've written together, that it doesn't really matter how you say things. That, that you know, if I think I have made the perfect chapter or the perfect paragraph, Turns out that Michael's version of it could be equally good, which is really irritating, but it's <laughs> it's true. I can relate. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so so we often have very heated disagreements about um, small, small things. And we way back when, when we started writing, uh, in fact, we started writing nearly 20 years ago, um, we we created a, a sort of a protocol for handling these enormous disagreements. And that was if we couldn't agree, the person who wrote it first would get to keep it. And if it was really bad, we just said, well, the editor will take care of it. In those 20 years, we may have had two or three um, uses of the protocol and in every case, the editor hasn't even noticed that there's been a disagreement. That's quite impressive that the protocols lasted for quite that long. But I suppose the other thing talking about your working relationship that interested me is we in A Deadly Covenant have the very Scottish Ian McGregor, who, to my mind, parallels the ecologist character from the first novel. And I was kind of curious how writing characters that reflect yourself and your professional histories change their connection to the story um there may be some there may be some of that in it that's an interesting perspective that we haven't uh, we haven't addressed before of course he is in the in the previous books so we're quite comfortable with him as a character but he also in a way was lacking a backstory you know unless unless you write a book where your protagonist is the pathologist the pathologist is a bit of a walk-on part shall we say yeah. Cut up part more accurately, and so it was also fun to explore how he had got to Botswana and what he does in Botswana, and also how he'd become friendly with Kubu because in the later books they're actually quite good friends, and they'll get together sometimes and have a a dram of whiskey and uh, maybe two. I really enjoy that in 
constructing this this prequel and this backstory for McGregor and for Kubu, you don't just give them a body, you give them like nine plus bodies. Like you've really thrown them into the fire. And I, I really enjoy that. Well, I think that, you know, part of, of writing books like this is to is to put your main characters and and I include McGregor as one of the main characters in a sense he's not the protagonist but putting them in situations that are awkward that are difficult that challenge them you know it shows it gives us the 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 writers an opportunity to show what's underneath the skin of those people and the more sort of challenges you can throw at them in, in many ways, the more you learn about the, the people or the person of that uh, that's involved. I'm really delighted by your comment because in our first book, A Carrion Death, um, we did have quite a lot of bodies, uh, most of which occurred uh, on stage and some of the murders occurred on stage. And uh, after the book, Stan said to me, you know, your solution for a situation where you don't know what to do next is to kill somebody. And, <laughs> That's a good um, solution. And if you keep on doing this, does, does that apply outside a- the writing as well? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> not as far as we know. But he he pointed out to me that if we kept on doing this, given that Botswana has a, a really small population, we were going to run out of potential victims before we ran out of plots. So we solved that problem perhaps by cutting back a bit on the number of of murders, but also by bringing in foreigners uh, as cannon fodder for future um, crimes. I really enjoy that. One interesting theme that you sort of you tackle through the setup of the novel is the disconnect between the the positive effects of infrastructure and the damage that's done to get there. Um, in this case, that's a waterline through the Kalahari. What do you think makes Kubu and his youth the perfect pair of eyes to tangle with the injustice of ignorance? Kubu is a is a complex person. He obviously is devoted at this stage in his life to his job. Um, he's only beginning to woo his future wife. So uh, even though she's on his mind, um, she's not the focus of his of his life. Um, so he's in this case, he's he's looking at the um, the, the 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 murders of the the Bushmen, the age old murders, and then of course the ones that are happening uh, currently. But he's also, I think, has a, a a sort of more you know ten thousand meter view of the world, and can can see other implications of what's going on. And the reality in Botswana is that there are many pressures both in Botswana and in Namibia, to uh, tap off water from the Kavango River, which would, if that happened, it had, has the potential of destroying a unique habitat. And I think um, that Kubu understands those different things. And in his head, he's sort of juggling them, but his police perspective always comes through first because that's his job. The, the scene that I was also thinking of is the one in this novel where we're talking about him learning how to be observant and why he chose to become a detective in that moment with the trapdoor spider and that idea that the things that you want to be most careful of are sort of hidden in plain sight. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that trapdoor spider is actually something that happened to me, basically. Um, you know, I was on a, on a, a trip 
Um, and and one of the the people um, we were with basically, you know, said, "What do you see?" And you know, he pointed to this little crescent in the sand and literally got a little twig and lifted the the lid, and out popped this white trapdoor spider. And and it is astonishing, you know, when you spend time in the bush, and and it's true in Australia, it's true in in Africa. That there are so many things that you don't see, and the more time you're just slowing down and just looking, um, is is really very revealing. I think the other big question throughout the book is why there's even a case here in the first place. Why is a, a detective from so many hours drive away called in over such old bones? Surely that's that's down to more than just bureaucracy. The question, I guess, is is less it's less in solving a known mystery and more figuring out what the mystery even is. Uh, it's exactly the fact that Kubu is uh, starting out. This is this is in its first year that uh, that we're talking about as a detective. Um, that he's sent on this this expedition. It starts off more or less as accompanying the pathologist who needs to look at the at the site and try and determine something about the history of these of these deaths. But as you say, they're old. They could be very old. And uh, at the time that Kubu goes out, there's nothing really that makes it a case. And he doesn't expect a case. He's actually actually expects to be bored uh, with the with the case. But it, it it's an opportunity for him to see how McGregor works, what he does, and so on. And he and very quickly, of course, things get out of hand because they expect. To, to find one skeleton and then, as you say, they end up finding nine skeletons. And what's more, the pathologist can easily establish that this is not the case of somebody who died of old age in the desert or something of that nature. This is actually a massacre. These people have been, have been killed deliberately and brutally, and some of them are women and children. So then it becomes potentially a case, obviously, a murder case, but then again, the time the time scale is is important um, because probably anywhere in the world, you know, there's been an example of some sort of battle that's taken place at a location at some point in the past. But the question is, is this in the ambit of the police? And I think that's what you're that's what you're alluding to, and that's really quite um, undetermined uh, for a long time in the book. The point is then murders start happening in the present time. While Kubu and McGregor are actually there, a murder takes place. So now, of course, that becomes the focus of the investigation and clues start emerging which suggests that there's some sort of link between these things. And therefore, the massacre becomes almost a clue for solving the, the present murders isn't day murders. There's just one other little link there that we wanted to develop, and, and that was certainly in the later books, it, it happens the whole time, but we wanted to show how it happened in the beginning, and that is how um, Mabaku became Kubu's mentor. Mm. So when, when Mabaku sends Kubu off with McGregor, it's, it's a learning experience. He intends Kubu to learn something about his profession, and then it turns into something very different, of course. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of interesting looking at the rest of the series then. I heard, for example, Stanley Yu speaking at Poison Pen Press at the end of last year. Barbara Waters there was talking about where this book crosses over with Death of the Mantis. And obviously that kind of is, is the overlapping themes throughout the series of like the flames of prejudice, the treatment of the land and the edges where cultures meet. Why do you think A Deadly Covenant veers into these little spaces where it feels so familiar to the previous books in the series? Is there an aspect of you like trying to say things that you felt were incomplete in previous books or reflections on thoughts that were the genesis of previous books in the series? Yeah, it's an, a, a good question, and I haven't actually thought about it before, but but Bushmen play a huge role in our thinking. <laughs> they don't appear in all our books, but they appear in most of our books in some way or other. And in The Death of the Mantis, you know, it, they are the focus of the book. But we've always been intrigued by both by the Bushmen themselves, and and we can talk about why we use the word Bushmen separately if you're interested. It's a very difficult subject. Mm. I mean, I was trying to look up the correct terminology for this interview when I got down an entire (laughs) rabbit hole and just decided to avoid the issue altogether and use what we choose in Australia, which is First Nations. Now, I noticed that right at the beginning, and and Mm. it's a very difficult situation, and we went down this rabbit hole. But we're interested in them um, directly, and we're very interested in the relationship between the Bushmen and the other cultures in Botswana. One of the things that we often bring up just to put a perspective in, and I think that you'll understand this being in Australia, it was in the 1930s that the last licenses were issued to hunt Bushmen. Or well, I think I'm frozen. No, we're no, frozen in shock, uh, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so surprisingly recent, yeah. kind of uncomfortable thought, right? Well, it is, and and so I mean that is so. I mean there are people alive who were at, in that mm. era very easily, and and so that's you know one form of relationship, one that you hope never happens, but mm. there is a relationship that there were people in Botswana and northern South Africa at the time who were quite comfortable about going out and shooting three springbok kudu and two bushmen um and so mm. it, it, the sort of the the plight of the bushmen is sort of in our writing dna in this particular series there there's no shortage of interesting ways of looking at all those relationships and i mean that that representation of the the first nations people the bushmen you know is really important um I thought that the the first person views of Salelo speaking with his ancestors around the fire at night were a really interesting touch in how we lend credibility to spiritualism through giving it a their perspective. With characters like Marzondo linking the crown to Mami Water, uh, what, what do we stand to learn by taking the lens of traditional spiritualism for where it collides with modernity? Well, I think I think again that's a very interesting question. Um, one of the questions we often get is why do you set your books in Botswana in the first place? And that really goes back to that first book, uh, Carry and Death, where the body is discovered in the desert and it turns out it's been thrown out to be eaten by hyenas. And that's actually quite hard to do in South Africa. There's there's much more control of the wildlife areas where than there is in Botswana. So it's actually a natural thing to set it not in South Africa, but either in Botswana or Namibia. Having said that, 
the fact that the story started in Botswana and that Kubu therefore became a Botswana policeman in the Botswana Criminal Investigation Department in Kaborone opened up to us a whole spectrum of different issues in Southern Africa, which went beyond the issues that were being addressed in South Africa. There are lots of, of excellent South African mystery writers, as I'm sure you know, uh, so that's not trying to put them down in any way, but the whole history of South Africa and the, the shadow of apartheid and corruption that's that's been generated from those days overshadows mm. much of the, the themes in, in those books. In, in our books, because they said in Botswana, we can bring in other African issues, such as you've referred to the cultural um, spiritualism, which is, can be both good and bad. In Deadly Harvest, we we use as the backstory of the book the Muti murders, where where witch doctors, a certain small group of evil witch doctors, will murder humans and use their body parts as part of their potions that they that they're using for for different things. Uh, then there's the the Bushman theme, of course, and then there are the good witch doctors. And and their traditional medicines, and Kubu's father, in fact, is a is a herbalist. So it's possible. It's not only possible to intertwine these things, but it's almost essential because it's 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 really the back uh, story of the whole culture. It's the the backdrop of the whole of the whole culture, and the way in which people react to these things is built into the modern culture. Kawarani is a modern city. It's generated by diamond wealth, generally speaking, some the, the major income source still in Botswana. But people still have these traditional beliefs and traditional values. And they don't see, by the way, any conflict between being Christian and going to a witch doctor for, for help and taking traditional medicines and going to a modern-style doctor for help. They can work these things in together, even though we might say, but isn't there a conflict there? Isn't there, a, isn't there an inconsistency? People live with inconsistencies all the time and seem to seem to manage quite well. Yeah, I guess the other thing that I wanted to ask to kind of drag us back around before we wrap up today is you've written two prequels in the Kubu world now, getting to revisit kind of where these themes started for Kubu even though it's years down the line for yourself. What's it been like reflecting on, you said, 20 years of you writing together uh, in revisiting Kubu's origins? Has that been something that's sort of come up in conversation around the books? One of the things that's it's sort of a little weird to me is that even though Facets of Death and A Deadly Covenant um, are the beginnings of Kubu, they are certainly mm. not the beginnings of Michael Stanley. And... I hope and and I actually believe that the the quality of writing and plotting and so on is much better in the two prequels than it was, for example, in our first book, A Carrion Death. I've always wanted, well, not really, but I've always wanted to go back and rewrite A Carrion Death uh, because it's too long. You always wish a clone of your now self would go do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, the, a carrion death was 135,000 words, which 
which we didn't understand was what you didn't do that as a first book. You know, you later we were told, oh, you should have it sort of eighty to ninety thousand words, and nobody said a word. <laughs> you know, Harper Collins picked it up and a second one, which was also about one hundred and thirty thousand words, and nobody ever said a word. Both of us now wish they had been a hundred thousand words. Mm. I think they would have been better books, tighter books, but that's the whole process of learning, isn't it? So I think that we write better now, even though Kubu is still a very naive person. So it's a sort of a funny inter mix that I've reflected on. Kubu is becoming more naive while you've grown less naive in a way. That's really fun. <laughs> in a way, yes. Well said. All righty. Well, this has been an absolute treat, and I had a fantastic time going through Deadly Covenant. So thank you for sending it over, and thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It's been such a blast finally getting to have Detective Kubu and yourselves here on the show. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very reading. much. We've enjoyed it a lot. You're listening to Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. A Deadly Covenant by Michael Stanley is out with Arenda Books and Michael Stanley's own White Sun Books. We'll have links up on the podcast. If you want to get that, you're on 2SER 107.3. Thank you.